In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Russ and I saw Hamilton for the first time in January. We'd been looking forward to it for months, and we'd been listening to the soundtrack in preparation. Still seeing it on stage with the flow and the choreography and the historic figures represented by people of color, the experience was beyond our expectations. It also sent us to Wikipedia to look up the biographies of many folks. Adam Hamilton, Aaron Burr, Elizabeth Schuyler Hamilton. But I surprisingly was especially intrigued with George Washington. It turns out that he established many precedents that we now take for granted. After the Revolutionary War, Washington was so beloved of the American people that there were popular movements to crown him king. And as his popularity continued to rise, he resigned as commander-in-chief of the Continental Army. He did so to send the message that the citizenry, not the generals, hold the nation's military power. He also established the title President of the United States, to which he was elected in 1789. But one of his greatest legacies is his contribution to the peaceful transfer of power. In the musical, Washington tells Hamilton that he's stepping down as president. He won't run for a third term. And Hamilton tries to talk him out of it. You are so popular and your position is so unique. You could continue to serve for years. But Washington's bigger priority is that he set an example. He sings, one last time, the people will hear from me. And if we get it right, we'll teach them how to say goodbye. If I say goodbye, the nation learns to move on. It outlives me when I'm gone. I was so struck when I first heard this. I had never thought about the important precedent that George Washington established when he chose not to run after serving two terms as president. There was no model for this anywhere. All over the world, those who rose to power and leadership were intent on maintaining it until their dying day. It was unheard of to step aside at the height of your popularity and power. The country wanted him to maintain that role. But Washington was able to see that for the greater good, for the sake of this young country, he would need to walk away from the presidency while he was still powerful and popular. It must have been tempting to retain power, knowing how much good he could still do. It must have been tempting to establish even more norms for this new office and country, to listen to all those adoring fans who encouraged him to remain. But fortunately for all of the generations that have followed him, including us, George Washington knew who he was and knew what was his to do. He knew his identity. Today's gospel passage is also a story about temptation and knowing one's identity. 
Jesus has just been baptized in the Jordan River by John. And the heavens open up and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And a voice says, you are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, is led into the wilderness where for 40 days he is tempted by the devil. And it is after this 40-day trial that the devil offers up his greatest tests. First, he offers bread, which seems innocuous enough. But this temptation is more subtle than an appeal to hunger. The real temptation is for Jesus to give up his full humanity. You and I cannot turn rocks into bread. For Jesus to do so would be to avoid what it means to be human, to be subject to limitation, to have to endure. We worship a Savior who knows what it is to struggle with pain and loss and hunger. A Savior who would take the easy way out of these realities is not a Savior who is with us in ours. The devil's second temptation, unlimited power in return for worship of him, is a temptation for Jesus to give up his full divinity, to worship, to bow down to, to make ourselves answerable to anything other than God, is to worship an idol, to worship the created order instead of the creator. A savior who would do so denies our connection to the source of life, the divinity within us. Finally, the devil tests Jesus' trust in God. Just like that first sin way back in the garden, a voice tries to sow doubt. Is God trustworthy? Is he telling you the truth? You really should test that assumption. But Jesus will have none of it. We often look at temptation as being toward something, toward excess or illicitness or uh, shiny objects. But temptation is really away from something. Our relationship with God and the identity we receive in and through that relationship. Too often we focus on what we shouldn't do instead of focusing on who we are as children of God. The devil knows better. Notice how each of his temptations seeks to erode and undercut Jesus' confidence in his relationship with God and in his identity as God's child. His aim is to make Jesus question that he is enough, that he is secure, that he is worthy of God's love and care. And in the face of these temptations, Jesus quotes scripture. He references the story of God and God's people owning his place in that story and so affirming his identity as a child of God. The devil tempted Jesus with bread, power, and safety. But it could just as well have been youth, beauty, and wealth, or confidence, fame, and prestige. At one level, we experience temptations very particularly. 
but on another, they are all the same. They seek to shift our allegiance and trust and confidence away from God and towards some substitute that promises a more secure identity. Each and every day we are under assault by tempting messages that cause us to question who we are and how God would have us live. Advertisements look to create in us a sense of lack or inadequacy and then promise that they can address it. Those seeking power try to create in us a sense of fear and insecurity. You should be afraid, they say, because you are not enough and you will not be taken care of. Choose me and I will keep you safe. There are always reasons, sometimes seemingly good reasons, to compromise who we are. Jesus knew himself to be the Son of God. It had just been pronounced from the heavens. The question was not whether he was God's Son. The question was, what kind of Son of God would he be? Jesus was, just like George was, just like we are, tempted to reach for powerful, impactful things. And it didn't end in the wilderness. Day after day, Jesus was confronted by those who wanted him to use his powers in ways that would have made him less than the person God wanted him to be. Multiply more of those loaves of bread. We like that trick. Once you're in the kingdom of God, just reserve a seat at your side for me. If you're the son of God, come down off that cross. But the cost would have been his relationship with and identity in God. Jesus was willing to forego the easier way for the greater good. And in the process was affirmed in his identity. At its heart, temptation is not about inappropriate desires, but about being someone other than who God intends us to be. As we enter our Lenten journey, let us ponder the temptations that we face to be someone other than who God intends. And may we so center ourselves on him that when temptations come, we are not drawn away, but are able to lean in, trusting in the relationship and in our identity as God's beloved child. Amen. Amen.